Welcome, travelers. I'm Josh. I'm Glenn. And I'm Lee Wanika. This is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your humble guides along the journey to RPG adventures. We here at Tabletop Journeys are D&D role players and storytellers at heart. It's where we started out, and it's where we find ourselves most at home. So here on our main podcast episodes, we're going to discuss the core rules, how we use them as written, and how to homebrew your own content to get the most out of your story. Because detailed settings, heroic characters, vibrant NPCs, and a focus on story over rules is what makes a campaign legendary. Welcome, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Tabletop Journeys today. Luanika, Glenn, nice to see you again. What's up, Josh? Hey, hey. How's it going, guys? Fabulous. So today we are going to be diving into the new Unearth Arcana module that Wizards of the Coast just put out, Gothic Lineages. So they're starting to get into their Ravenloft content, uh, and I know I am super excited that they're starting to get into uh, into this line. Luanika, I know you said you had some thoughts on this. So let's uh, Let's start with you. Yeah, so I noticed a couple things about the UA right off the get-go. First of all, Ravenloft, awesome stuff. Gothic stuff, I'm in. Josh, you and I have talked uh, ad nauseum about uh, Vampire of the Masquerade and doing all of those types of things. And I know, Glenn, you've played in several live-action games with us as well. So we're all kind of like in that mode at times. So having some more content to fuel that at the D&D table is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I agree totally. And I think that the I think that it's interesting to see them release a horror genre UA within a week of announcing a 17 chapter mystery adventure module in Candlekeep. And so that's one of those things that uh, I know we're going to be talking about Candlekeep in a little bit here, but that's one of the things that I wonder is there going to be some parallelism? I agree with you. I think it's unique and interesting timing, but beyond the timing of it, beyond the meta, beyond the how does this company make its money and how do they choose what to release when, uh, there is, of course, the center of it all, the content. How good is it? How will we use it? What are the things we like? What are the things we don't like? What's going on with this? And when can we see more? Jumping off with that point, there's a couple little and they're slightly meta things that I noticed about this UA that I wanted to point out because I found them very interesting slash promising. The, the language used, I noticed that on this document, the nomenclature that they use, they didn't use the term races. They stuck specifically with lineages. I think that's a very promising start to or continuation of what was begun in Tasha's. And I'm looking forward to that continuing throughout the line as things go forward. I like that idea so much so that I've always used ancestry, or at least have for the last year or so. Plus, I think I would be switching over to lineages. It just has a better alliteration, rolls off the tongue a bit better. Like so much so that I almost didn't realize at first that these were lineages or species or races or races 
I thought that they were classes at first. When I first started reading through them, I was like, okay, so there, there's going to be like a class template that you throw on top of another character. But no, these are these are distinct. Uh, these are distinct lineages, like like humans or dwarves or elves or anything else in there. And then from that, you kind of roll into the mechanics of of these lineages as templates. Uh, or what you can add to a character or change your lineage to if you are become a damn fear or, or are somehow changed into a hex blood or your character dies and now you come back as something else uh, uh, and you're reborn. reborn. You know, <clears throat> there's some cool things that happen with that. And it creates a huge amount of potential for narrative drive with a change like that. Absolutely. I mean, any kind of a because they're templates that go over another race so you, you're already a dwarf but now you're a dwarf and damp fear you know so it's adding that extra level of depth to your character but what a violent change that that would lead in terms of the character's story arc yep. um so that creates huge amounts of potential in the campaign i thought that that was one of the strong suits of the unearthed arcana material that they just released was how strong all of these are narratively and how well the stories around these characters can be that's something that we have talked a lot about recently um, in terms of our breakdown of subclasses and stuff like that um, and i thought that this material in particular was narratively so strong it's really 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 well written as long as it fits into your story this stuff is gold yeah yeah yep. there are going to be stories where some of this stuff may not make sense like a damn fear may not make sense if you're playing in in theros per se but i guarantee you if you're playing in theros a reborn or a hexblood would definitely fit different depending on your campaign setting or the way your homebrew is set up you can mix and match pick and choose what would work for your game but i love the concept of a damn fear character in some form of RP heavy city game, uh, having to role play those hungers. Oh my goodness. That's where a game is made. That's where memories right. are made. Yep. And that's why, I mean, that's why we loved shows like Buffy and angel that had, you know, the vampire with a soul and the, you know, the dark fallen hero who's trying really hard from the shadows, you know, it's just really engaging. Or, you know, if you're into it, you can go all the way into the horror campaign. And that's okay. That's not specifically what I'm into. Like, I never got that into the Ravenloft setting, but I know you guys are really excited about it. Yeah, I'm all about the horror setting as a player. I've struggled with it as a DM. It is not where I feel is my strong suit. But I think having tools such as these lineages to draw from makes sense. Speaking of the mechanics, I thought it was interesting uh, what has happened in other editions when you start mixing in these types of things, because all of them have been done before in different editions, but this is the first time they've not been overpowered. Like they're not overpowered, but they are extra flavored. And I think that's an amazing thing. None of these things is going to make your character supremely better than any other character. Mechanically, all of them get dark vision. Mechanically, all of them get at least one other ability, which is kind of cool, but, really not a big mover and shaker and then mechanically they all get a feature which is pretty smooth and and i think that's interesting like nothing is overpowered nothing throws makes them why wouldn't you play this but they're all gonna fit really well as long as you have the story going that would allow for it so I'm actually, I'm going to disagree with you guys a little bit here, and that's not to go ahead and say that every storyteller should be using this material carte blanche exactly the way that it is without reservations. For my game and for the adventures that I am writing right now, 
I immediately saw places to use all three of these these uh, archetypes in in very interesting and unique ways that are maybe different, I think, than the way that the rules seemed to intend that they should be used. So I want to get into those a little bit as we start talking about these guys, because I wrote down a lot of notes on my paper here about interesting ways to use a reborn, for example. I won't spoil it yet. I'll, I'll wait till we get there, but I get some really good, I get some ideas about how I want to go ahead and, and use it. Let's go ahead and dive in. Let's let's start talking first about the Dom Fear. And my notes overall about the Dom Fear are that this is what I expected from a Dom Fear. It sounded like the half vampire class that came out in the Ravenloft module for for third edition, 3.5. It sounded a lot like because that was really the first time that we'd seen the Dom Fear come out. I, Lou and Nick, you probably remember I played one. Um, and I so I I'm very familiar with kind of with the feeling and the way that the spirit of a Ravenloft environment speaks to a Domfear and the challenges of playing a Domfear. Um, and so this, this really, this really told, this sounded a lot like what I expected a Domfear to sound like in fifth edition. Um, I absolutely agree with you that they took great pains not to make it overpowered because I, from 3.5, the Dom Fear was really overpowered. That template added a lot of power to that character with very little negative. You could easily kind of buy off the, the hunger aspect of it or, or it did not become a real, it did not become a real big deal to the mechanics of playing that character. It was, a, it was purely a narrative thing. And here I think they did a really good job at balancing the strong narrative of the Dom Fear with uh, a mechanical thing that had to be done to go ahead and and uh, and help fuel it and help power it. In my notes, I have a line and it reads, at, and I quote, a prominent PC in one of the best campaigns I ever played in was the Dom Fear. <laughs> Josh, you want to tell us about that? Oh, Augustus. But, yeah. But, but thank you for uh, actually getting into that meat and potatoes before I even got a chance to give you the lead line. Um, <laughs> yes, folks. Uh, this show is unscripted ish. Uh, and sometimes we do things in whatever order we want to yeah. do them. Well, that I, I just got... goes to show you how prominent that character was, though. I mean, that yeah. character as, as as the son of the vampire king um, whose who's, who's mother died in childbirth and went through life with this half vampire torture aspect to it. Boy, I remember the smile that game master got when I told him, I was like, you know what? I think that this is what I want to play. If that's okay. He's like, yep. And now you can't take it back. You're that character. It's like, Oh, but I'm just thinking about it. Yeah, Ben, yeah. ben that goes out to you. <laughs> yeah. Nice. But I distinctly remember when we were playing and we played a kind of game with the DM that we all had things about our characters that nobody else could get that were not necessarily out of a book. We had, these were legacy characters. Many of us players have been playing for three, four campaigns long at this point. So we had extraordinarily powerful weapons at very low levels because they were bequeathed to us by our previous characters. So Josh playing a character that was so overpowered wasn't necessarily the worst thing that could happen. But on paper, his character was by far out in a, out in the head of everybody else at the yep. same level. There's just no way around that. And so I was worried about that when I saw the heading, damn fear. I was worried about how that would look uh, or how that would feel. Like, how are they going to give us that feeling without destroying us with that mechanic. 
and they did an admirable job. Like I said, the flavor is amazing. The mechanics truly support that. The hunger options, it's a table that you can roll on or select with the work, working with your DM. Beautiful, like evocative stuff. Uh, and then following that, you also have the origins. Like, how did you become a damn fear? What is the, how did that come about? And they list different options. So there's all kinds of different histories and possibilities to get you into that position. Uh, we now have a template that allows us to make blade, you know, the, I mean, how cool is that? I, I, Wind shadow monk, dumb fear. Done. <laughs> Done. I, I love how they really leaned into the vampire tropes in the origin role table. I thought that that was, you know, vampires are one of those things. And again, we come from a mind's eye theater background, Liwanika, you know, vampires are one of those things that can be super cheesy on some level. They have a bunch of powers that can be a little funny. And sometimes the best way to go ahead and, and, and write that and to play that is to just, is to turn into the tropes and drive through them. And, and they absolutely did going through the, the Dom Fear origins. You can name pretty much every story that each distinct origin came from it. it they're that good. And they're that on point. And fortunately there's no Dom Fear that has fairy fire permanently on them. Uh, I mean, they could. <laughs> I, I, I don't feel it's like the fate touched feet. Like that's. Oh, that would be interesting. <laughs> now you're mixing and matching. Now we're mixing and matching. Yeah. Oh, yep. oh, oh, but no, the, the okay, dance here is a template that you could just put over anything. It, it does totally rock. The only thing I was disappointed about, and I realize you're trying to create a template of enhancement and, you know, adding as opposed to putting in negatives and taking away. But I really liked the line and the potential narrative for those who overindulge in their thirst, risk losing control and forever viewing others as prey. That line to me said, that's going to be in here somewhere. That's going to be a feature when I get a little bit further down, that's going to be like, okay, you can use your bite attack if you do it more than the number of times per day than you're supposed to in a long rest, you incur some kind of a negative that could be yep. cumulative, you know, like an opportunity to overuse it, but with a drawback. Yep. Um, and that could have been really cool, but it also might've overcomplicated it. I'm not sure that it would have overcomplicated it because they did that with the, with the hex blood also with like the, the possibility of the hex blood turning into a full hag and stuff like that, you know? Um, right. And so I think that there, I think that there was some room to go ahead and do that of the kind of the three main sections of the, the dumb fear write up. I thought that the traits were probably the weakest section to be honest. And this is something that I had more general uh, comments about the, about the, the write-up as a whole is that you know only medium or small creatures so it's like you can't get your your ogre domfear or anything like that like you can't get any kind of those really neat bad guy things that you could have got um but they also they you're absolutely right they never touched on if you feed too much or if you don't feed enough what the mechanical penalty for that right. is that, that and they needs should to have. Be. And that's the first piece I'd homebrew with this if I was going to run it. Right. And you know what? As a DM, you can have an ogre damn fear because you're not limited. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Can that out too. Any of these templates can be made into stat block templates for any bad guy you wish. So you want to have a half dragon damn fear? Get it. I'm thinking of black half dragon. Of course. Fear. Oh yeah. Because yeah, you a, know, a black half dragon with spider climb. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's creepy as f um that a drought rides yeah that would be nice to your point glenn i hadn't even thought about that like i was so enamored with how it worked as a whole it didn't even dawn on me that the negatives weren't actually there because i read them 
And then my head immediately goes to, I'm a DM, I homebrew. So to me, if a player says, I want to play this, I know I'm going to be paying attention. You right. fed off yeah. a, a cow or a rat. I'm, I don't care. You fed off an enemy two or three times. I'm going to start messing with you. Right. Cause you, being able to bite for a self heal in, in combat. I mean, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. That's a great mechanic. But the negative, uh, you know, how is it taking control of you? Right. What is it going to take to make you turn into a full vampire? Hence, lose your character to the DM? What does that look like? So interestingly enough, I believe it's not there for a purposeful reason. And maybe it's feedback on the surveys and from players and from DMs alike that will cause uh, Wizards of the Coast to add that in at a later point or for a final version. So, right. uh, to yeah, our audience, this is UA. yeah, to our audience, fill, look at these, hit that website, and then fill out these surveys once they're yep. made available because it's important to note that's how these things get changed. It's how we get the products that we like when they give us the opportunity to comment. We really need to do to do all that. Right. So, all of us are in agreement. Don't fear. Thumbs up. Absolutely. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yep. Right. Uh, I, I would play one like five minutes ago. Absolutely. I actually have one that I that I'm ready to build. I I have I had the makings of a one shot that needed a character that has a power that's now delineated with the Dom Fear, and he may be a Dom Fear. I I haven't decided that just yet. So let's move on to the Hex Blood then. So Glenn, you mentioned it a little bit. I mentioned it a little bit with kind of the Hex Blood Hag element. Why don't you start? What did you think about the Hex Blood? You know. I'm going to be honest. I wasn't a giant fan. I mean, the hex blood is okay. Let me be fair. The reason that I feel this way is because it creeps me out. Okay. Oh, um, it's, it's not because hell. Oh, yeah. it's not because it's bad. It's got huge amounts of flavor, but for the type of character that I play, even when I go dark, I'm not sure that I would go with somebody who randomly pulls out one of their back molars to leave on the table to spy on people. That just gives me the heebie jeebies <laughs> or pulling the out your fingernail. Just reading that, I kind of went, oh. Uh, the number of times that so, I just wrote yuck next to something that they said in the hex blood uh, is more than once. <laughs> so, I mean, it's awesome. And there are plenty of you people out there that are going to love it. But it's not for me. I could make a cool bad guy out of it, but the bad guy would creep me out too. So, and uh, that, that, that summarizes my feelings on the hex blood pretty much. Yeah. So, for me, reading it, it gave me shades of that live action character that I spoke about in a recent recording we did. When you do hear about a character I wrote, Sebastian, for a live action game, this gives me shades of that where there are just things that it does or things that are built in that are just creepy. They make me say, blah, you know, and, <laughs> and, and that's, that's okay. I said earlier, I'm not good at the horror thing. That's not my bread and butter. But what I, what I do think is I like to put in a horror episode within a greater campaign. I like to do something that is creepy within a campaign setting. I'll have a humorous adventure. I'll have a high action adventure. I'll have a deeply terrifying and creepy adventure. And this is the kind of creature type that will make it easier for me to get to, to that level. Yep. Like I don't have to do any, the work has been done. I put one of these things and I just do any three of the things that are part of this character template and creep episode complete. There's nothing worse than a, than, than a creature that walks by with a natural crown that spawns out from their back and 
arms encircles their head, pulling out their fingernails to spy on you. Like that's just like that's the this I can I have got such a visceral reaction to this character. <laughs> like it made, me think of, uh, it made me think of the hag characters and Grimm. Yep. The television show. I mean, made me think of the hag ravens from Skyrim. Mm, that too. Yeah. yeah. Or or uh, if you're going for that more humorous bent, the she-hag that uh, Ash d- does in an army of darkness. I totally see this type of character. I think it's amazing. And uh, I will say of all three of these, the one that I have already put together for a game I'm about to run is this character. It is yep. the Hexblood. I, I've created this character, and, and I've done so with the express purposes of a game I've done because I needed a horror element within that game, and I was struggling. And then I woke up one morning, saw this had been released, read it before going to work, and said, oh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> so I think that... Glenn, I agree with you that this was of the three character types in this UA. This was not my favorite. While I love the flavor and I love the the narrative possibilities and I love just the way that it's written, its mechanics are not great. They are they are limit. They're unnecessarily limited in strange ways. Like for example, when you get that magic token, right, and it allows you to go ahead and spy on somebody, it has a ten mile range, right, which okay, fine, it's got a 10-mile range, but I I don't understand why they would do that given that the hags are fey creatures, right? They are, they are from another plane. They're able to communicate across different planes. And I understand, you know, that, that this character um, can't communicate across planes, but the fact that it's got a 10-mile range on it uh, just seems like it's a, limited, it's a limitation of the power, which I guess they're, they're trying to rein in and it just seems unnecessary. What do you guys think about that? Do you feel like the limits are necessary or do you feel like it's over it's overpowered? I get why it's necessary. I do think it's necessary. I think it's narratively sad yep. uh, that it is necessary. I think on some level we have to recognize this is a game, it's not a novel. So a power that in a novel you could say it, it works because you're writing it and you're controlling when it when it happens, so you don't have this Deus Ex Machina that aids or destroys a plot. You could do that in a game. You have to put limits and measures to make sure that you don't get that same effect. So I get that. I think they could have been just they could have picked any number they wanted. It could have been ten feet, twenty miles. 800 miles, I think they could have done something terribly creepy and called it 600 uh, or 6.66 miles just to be right. just to drive the point home. And it wouldn't have it would have been totally arbitrary. I think the actual number is pointless. Yep. Once you get out of fives of feet, distance is irrelevant in the game. Right. So they picked an arbitrary number to say my character can't be in Waterdeep spying on somebody in Susail. That's pretty right. much what they did. Yeah. But they already had that limitation created. I mean, because of barring teleportation and, and seriously advanced magic, it is only functional between long rests. Yep. At the, at, you know, once right. you take your long, your next long rest, it's, it ceases to be, it ceases to be magic and it regrows wherever on your body you pulled it out from. So yep. for your average, Hexblade. It's not like they can, you know, yank out a molar and teleport it to, you know, somewhere leagues and leagues and yeah. 
But what? Oh, interesting. So that's is. actually so that's, that's a, really a great. Point you don't really need catch. the the distance element. Well, hold on, though. So, and I'm not trying to be a rules lawyer about this. However, it doesn't actually say. So, if I, I'm going to be gross here for a second. If I rip out my fingernail and stick it in your back pocket, and you mm. leave, yeah, I get my fingernail back tomorrow. But it doesn't say anywhere in the rules that the fingernail in your back pocket stops working. Nor does it say you can only have one at any one time. Exactly. So, so that might be a that, that's a rules clarification. I think that needs to be cleared up because that's that's clearly a, that that sounds ambiguous to me. Mm, like you're right, you're right. The that was something I inferred more than it yep. specifically says. And you, it, you, the way you infer it actually makes a lot of sense. No, it does. It says uh, it's just earlier uh, second sentence under magic token. This token is imbued with magic until you finish a long rest. Oh. So at that point, the distance is pointless. Yep. Yeah, because you're not going no more than 10 miles in a day. Yeah. yeah, let it work wherever it works. If somebody goes to the other end of the world because they can teleport, well, they, they brought along a hitchhiker. Right, they pretty much just still have a day use. Yep, okay. See, I missed that point, and I was okay with the limit because I missed that point. But yep. now knowing that point, I'm with you. That limit is pointless. I don't like it. <laughs> That was my first con- my first complaint about the about the mechanics. My second complaint about the mechanics was that the origins themselves weren't fabulous. They mm-hmm. were they were very middle of the road. You know, I thought that the strongest one was the the child of the wilds, the eighth one on the you know where basically like you have just kind of communed with nature and kind of grown into this on your own. But things like there was the, the one there where you, you're cursed as a child. A deal with the spirits of the forest transformed you into a hex blood, now free of the curse. If you're a Hexblood, you're not free of the curse. You're still cursed. You are still this half-breed, half-hag. You're not free of the curse. You know, and so I, I didn't think that the origins were super strong. I didn't think that this was mechanically very well built. And so that was kind of my, my biggest concern with it. So I really like this uh, seeking a child. Your parents made a bargain with the hag. Yep. I love that because that I like that very one much, too. Yes, I that was very much grim fantasies. I I was a fan of the early seasons of Once Upon a Time. I thought the Rumpelstiltskin character was incredible in that show, and I just think that that is again evocative yeah. of uh, of the imagery that they're looking for. I just like that story. Or the, the, the fake kidnappers swapping, you know, sneaking into your parents' house, stealing their baby and re- leaving you instead. Like, yeah. that's that's Labyrinth yeah. <laughs> right there. Yeah. yeah. I, I believe when it came out, I actually posted a meme about uh, with David Bowie's character, the Goblin King, uh, yeah. uh, right around that time. Because, it, again, it's that evocative. So I, I guess I, I think there were some of the origins that were superior and there were others that were kind of meh. Yep. Uh, but overall, because I don't like rolling random on tables when it comes to character origins and such like that, I select what okay. feels right for the character. I'm perfectly okay with the origins they have. I mean, there are some that I may never, ever pick. You know, I'll make five, maybe maybe six of these in, in my life. And I because I mostly DM, I don't play. And they will almost always be bad guys. So, yep. yeah. you know or at least antagonists or NPCs in a town. I think that the fact that, that I have this 
will make for much more interesting characters. That was actually the the last bit that I had. Actually, you touched on it a little bit. I find that Hexbloods, just the way that they're written and their narrative written, the bit about why they would become an adventurer in an adventuring party seemed forced. It didn't seem to make a lot of sense. These are creatures that almost by nature would live solitary existences, solitary, tortured existences. Uh, getting them into an adventuring party is going to be difficult. Other than as an NPC, like you, like you hire one, like you know you you. Uh, or you are hired by one, you know, but I don't see a PC Hexblood. I can see, and I have an image of a PC Hexblood. And what it base, what it comes from is the fact that you have a character who has recently become aware of his, of his heritage and he's adventuring to end the curse. Take that original origin, get rid of the last three, that, that last sentence that says you're now free of the curse and the adventure, the campaign, at least from the perspective of that character, is I have to free the curse. Whether it's chase some MacGuffin, end some bad guy, or whatever, whatever the campaign goal is so that the group is involved in that. But when that is done, then this person's curse is lifted. They can become a real boy or a girl or a person. You know, that's kind of, that's where I see that could be a great adventuring character. But the only way that works is if a DM is willing to supply the negatives that are not part of the written material. Right. It's, it's got a lot of flavor, but like some other things, it's specific enough, not necessarily in environment, but in personality, I guess that it makes it a little bit more limited. You know, it's just not usable everywhere. We're going to go from the hex blood to the reborn, which I thought of the three was absolutely hands down the best one of the three. Um, I thought, Absolutely. I thought that the best part of this UI of this UA was the lost memories table that came with the reborn I, from a narrative point of view. And I thought that mechanically the origins were fabulous. I thought that the, um, the way that the deathless nature attribute of this character played with, for example, I want to play a reborn uh, on Chult in the tombs of annihilation when i don't need to worry about eating i don't need to worry about sleeping i don't need to worry about drinking i don't need to worry about bugs biting me i don't need to worry about any of that stuff absolutely hands down um especially when you think about how the reborn could be a undead that isn't undead anymore or anything like that like that's that's this is a character that emerges from the jungles of Chult into Port Nianzaro and and tries to figure out how to live in that society. The other thing that made me giggle about this character, looking at the at the Reborn Origins, was uh, a waking in laboratory um, surrounded by clockwork uh, uh, gears and stuff like that. Playing a half Warforged sounds amazing. <laughs> yes. A bit of a Frankenstein's. Uh, oh, I wrote Frankenstein. Stuff. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. So I liked it, but I had a big issue with it, and I'm going to save that. I'm going to let Glenn go and go through because there, are, everything you mentioned, I really liked, but there's one thing you didn't talk about that I really had a challenge with, and and I just thought narratively let the whole thing down. So this was actually my least favorite of the three because it's the only one that had something in it that I thought was not good. Everything else I thought was at least baseline, good, or great 
in every other one, but this has one element that I thought was not good that right. I just didn't like. All right. um, you want to go ahead? I mean, you just led into it for, yeah, a, yeah. for a hot yeah, minute. Sure. So just, just do it. So I really didn't like the knowledge from a past life feature. I thought that was sad and non-narrative and terrible. And here's why. What they basically did is build up a, this character that has this past life and has these false memories, has memories and lost memories and all of that. The one thing I think this reborn is missing is what was the past life. So as opposed to creating this feature to detail what the past life was, they basically said in any given day, at any given time, any and every skill, you have the ability to get a bonus to. Thank you for playing. I'm out. And I think that's sad. This was an opportunity to do something where you get to select the skills from any single background feature. And that background was your past life. Now you get those two skills. So this character does get extra, extra skills beyond that of a normal character, which can in and of itself be fairly powerful, but you get those two skills and possibly some option they could have written in some way to some mechanic to figure out how to take care of that background feature. Or maybe you just lose that feature and you just get the knowledge skills, skills, languages, and tools of, uh, of a given background. I think that detailing that reborn's past is better than saying whatever you want, whenever you want, and it changes whenever you want it. I didn't like that. I thought that was a narrative letdown that I personally can't get my head over. And if oh, as a storyteller, wants- you can do that though. Like right, you can right, make yeah. you can make that the like, you can make that the narrative reason why that happens. They're just providing the rule. And right. I'm so glad you went first. <laughs> I, I, I guess what I'm saying is, I think if anybody were playing this wanted to play this character at my table, I would make that choice. I was disappointed that they didn't do that. Because I think it becomes narratively flat because they didn't right. do that. So, and I disagree with you, but agree with you kind of at the same time. So what they did was they they stayed just a little bit too generic. And I do agree with you. I see that. Yep. Um, because what we've been talking about is creating awesome flavor and things that can fit over without making the character so specific it's not usable anywhere else. I think the Reborn is the best of the three but it requires the most work from the storyteller um, because there are so many things it could be. And you're looking at it from a starting character, Lee. You're like coming up with a past life for a guy who started out as a reborn. He doesn't Mm -hmm. have to have. He could be a guy who at level nine in your campaign dies and the party comes up with some way to bring him back. So you already have the memories of his immediate past life. They're the previous events of his last life. But it's just got so much potential to create anything from Frankenstein's monster to Jon Snow. Yep. Yeah. For any form of a, a, a reanimated, you shouldn't really be alive, construct, automaton, and the fact that they make it possible for you to have construct yep. as, as yep. your part of your type is, is wicked cool. Me but it creates Cino so Man. much, yeah. right, so much flavor, so much narrative possibility. It's almost limitless. It's kind of like rifts. You can be anything you want because you could write the story so that they could be anything they want. I especially liked, uh, I mean, you didn't like it, but I thought the origin for like the Frankenstein's monster, you, your stitches bind your bodies 
misshapen pieces together and your memories come from a mul- from multiple different lives. Yeah, different I wrote beings. yuck on that. I think that's hot. That's hot. <laughs> it's gross, yep. but it would be so fun and funny to play. The, the, um, the grossest one was the was the last one though. The uh, in public you pass as an unremarkable individual, but you can feel the itchy straw stuffing inside you. It's like yeah, that one I didn't like. That, that one was like like the the bad guy in uh freaking the nightmare before Christmas. Ugh, yeah. Ugh. Yeah. So I liked the origins, like uh, the options, and I did like the Frankenstein option. And I think if I was building that, I would be okay with the description as is. But I also, when I think of Frankenstein, uh, with all due respect to the Hammer horror films, I only think of Kenneth Branagh's Frankenstein, where the brain was from a specific individual. So that was where all those functions came from. So that's my vision of Frankenstein's monster. So, and I do see that character specifically as Robert De Niro played him being built by one of being able to build that with this. However, when you do that, that's a specific origin that that character had. It's not any at all. And I guess the issue isn't that it's any, I love the fact that it's any, that's why in my homebrew, it's, you can pick the you pick the background that gives you the, your skills and features, right? But it's stuck. It's static. Once you select it, that's what you have. That's the part that I think is the difference between what I want and what I got. Pick anything you want, so you have the freedom to be to, to be as creative as you wish. But the fact that it is changed on the day that means the, a reborn basically says today. I am an expert in climbing tomorrow. I'm an expert in, in, in invention an hour from now, as long as I have the dice to roll, I'm an, I, I, I get the bonus to this other thing. And that's the part that I don't like about it. The fact that you can change without a narrative reason to change becomes my problem with, with, with that feature. It, it, I love the fact that it has the selectivity that it gives you. Where you, can you know that feature you I paid the least attention to, but you're right. That feature is kind of crappy unless it's tied specifically into the character. Yep. Um, yep. Unless it fit the character, I would probably drop it out as a as a home brewing. Putting it in my campaign, I would probably drop yep. that. Now, if but I was the building part, Legion from from Marvel, then I would be fine because that has a good story reason to have any and everything, multiple personalities. You could do something like that in those situations, mm-hmm. but. Like I said, it's not that you have choices. I'm a fan of choices. It's the fact that in order for choices to matter, I think choices have to stick. So let's uh, let's have some last words here. So I have some general thoughts and kind of the overall thing. I did not love that all three of them had dark vision. It really felt like they kind of went back to the well too many times. This started with Tasha's about how you could opt, you know, with the with the new character custom, customization, you could opt for your character to have dark vision instead of something else. And, and it just kind of seems like now, like dark vision, which was a dark vision, is a game changer depending on the campaign that you're running, right? right? And now it is just sort of a throwaway, like, well, they've got dark vision, you know? I, I guess I just, and I, I'm, I'm not sure necessarily what they should replace it with, but it just seems like everyone has dark vision now, and so dark vision is not special anymore. Dark vision has become ubiquitous in, in D&D 5e. It is I think it's everywhere. because it's what the players want. I'm sorry, yeah. Lee. No, you're right. That is exactly why it is. Players have demanded, I don't like being in dungeon X, Y, or Z and my whatever not being cool. Yeah. Nobody I, likes that. Nobody wants the mechanics. Nobody wants to fight about who can see, who can't see. Right. They and then the human lights to, a torch and the elves want to lynch him. Yeah. 
Right. You know, nobody likes that fight. Whereas at Glenn's table, that becomes a, a unique part of the story. And that becomes an intriguing way to enhance the game. And how are we going to do this? In many games, it's a slog when that comes up to the issue. A great podcast that I listen to, The Dungeon Cast, they joke about it every time they do a character type or whenever, whenever any creature has dark vision, they, one of the two guys will actually say, of course there's dark vision. Why? Because why not? Everybody has dark vision. And I agree with you. That's exactly how I felt about it. It was like, at this point it's pedestrian. I like, if it didn't have dark vision, I would have noted that. Like I would have noted the absence of dark vision by saying, thank God Wizards of the Coast finally put out something that didn't freaking have dark vision. I would have been clapping and that would have been a point in the plus column. So I also didn't love the restriction that these creatures can only be medium or small. And I know that from a homebrew campaign point of view, we can say, you know what, that restriction doesn't matter. But I think it's also important to note that they've put the restriction in, that these creatures can only be medium or small. Um, and, uh, you know, and again, I'm just not sure. I guess, again, the reason is to keep it from being overpowered. It's a governor on the engine that's keeping this from being overpowered, you know, but who doesn't want to make 1-1 one, one, the undead giant a reborn, you know, from, from Game of Thrones, you know, like that's, that's, uh, I, I can see wanting to, to break that rule uh, pretty much immediately. Interesting with that is the fact that name a player character uh, lineage that isn't small or medium. Ogres. You can't, there are no player character ogres. I guess, the, that's a, I guess, I guess only half ogres are. I believe the, even centaurs, oddly, though the creature type is large, even centaurs are considered medium creatures. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. So okay. I, I think it's a pointless thing to put in there because if you're saying as a player character option, it can only be X, Y, or X or Y. Well, guess what? There weren't any other options anyway. So why are you saying it? Yeah, that's fair. And okay. since as DMs, we're going to make whatever damn monster we want. <laughs> yep. Why are you putting it in there? Yep. You put a limit there so you can literally create the situation where some rules lawyer at some table is going to tell some DM, your giant can't be a giant reborn uh, or a giant hag. I'm, I'm sorry. Yes, he can. <laughs> Hey, and clearly my bad for bringing that type of rules lawyer to my table. I don't normally do that. Um, you know, Sometimes they sneak past you. There are occasions where they get through the gates. Um, they play it close to the chest until they pounce. Yeah, and it would be on our uh, giant damn fear. I, I guarantee you that's where mm, it would yep. happen. In all fairness to rules lawyers out there, I sat at a table with five other players with a DM who's a very close friend of, of, of all of ours who had a beholder that did all kinds of crazy stuff that could not happen by the written rules. And I will tell you, every one of the five of us complained about that one. Um, <laughs> you could use every eye stock every round. Yeah. At the same time. Yeah. That's yeah. Not, that's he not... was, you know, to, to our credit, none of us actually died in that fight, no. but we certainly didn't. But we didn't beat the bad guy. Marty was pulling a Drax the Destroyer, stabbing him from the inside because he was being swallowed. But yeah, yeah. But I mean, but at the same time, it was just a terrible combat. It was literally the situation. So I get rules lawyers saying, but the rules say, and I get that. 
at the same time, I think if they took this out of here, it would have been perfectly fine and nobody would have been any the wiser. Yep. Okay. So medium or small or large or yeah. Okay. And any other final words for, uh, for you guys? Yeah. I I had a, I had a note about the logistics of it all. And it's something that kind of was brewing in my mind after Tasha's came out is they came out with some really cool things in Tasha's that are exceptionally difficult to implement through online tools, uh, specifically D and D beyond. You have this great mechanic for building patrons, but there's no way on D&D Beyond to build them or put them on uh, a character sheet specifically. You you have these sidekicks where you can pick sidekicks, but unless the DM or the player is homebrewing a stat block for the sidekick, you can't add that to your character sheet or as a DM, just start building a bunch of sidekicks that you can seed into your game. And I think that's a serious letdown. Such a great product with Tasha's that you can't do that. I look at this at these UAs and I'm wondering while there's a button I can press on D&D Beyond so I can ha- switch my lineage or whatever, I wonder how easy some of these features are going to show up on the tool. Um, and I don't know if that's a negative to the UA in general. It's just something I noted. And I think it's a conversation that Wizards of the Coast needs to have with that separate company that operates D&D Beyond. If you're putting out great products, find a way to help us utilize the tools you have authorized and be able to use them. I think the key there is separate companies. So D&D Beyond is working on the framework to put those rules in. I'm pretty sure. I was reading an article the other day about some of the things they were trying to do to enhance the lineage, as an example, um, and put those features in. So I think it's just going to take them a little while to catch up because they basically just took the game and broke the character generation process wide open. So that's a significant redesign to their tool set for you know doing the character mm creation part which is a big part of what they're built around so i think it's just going to take them a little bit of time to come up with the patches and 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 that very well could be so i make those comments as a note not a slight because i recognize that integration is hard you make that two separate companies it's difficult i guess part of me is maybe you you have to have non-disclosure agreements with these guys anyway right so maybe you give them a bit uh a a a a a bigger head start and look under the hood so they have a better shot of getting this stuff launched around the same time. How cool would it be for them to launch, say, buy this content, and by the way, all of this new content is usable the same day it launches? Because this is UA content, obviously none of this is official yet. This is just something that Wizards of Coast has put out. Everybody who's listening, please make sure you go, you take the surveys, you feed back on this stuff. If, uh, you know, and don't just, we, w- we would love to go ahead and hear your feedback, but Wizards of the Coast really needs to hear your feedback also. They're certainly going to be hearing from the three of us on it. Please write them and let them know what they did right, what they did wrong, everything like that. In terms of feeding back to us, please, we would love to hear your feedback on what we've said today and get your thoughts on on our impressions on this. Best way to go ahead and do that is to go to the website, www.ttjourneys.com. You can subscribe to the blog. You can see our blog entries, see the podcast episodes. That's a really great way to go ahead and do that. We're also really active on Twitter, so you can catch us at TT Journeys on Twitter. We have a great Facebook group also. You can go to Facebook, search for Tabletop Journeys, and you'll get directly to the group from there. Subscribe, join the conversation live on Facebook. 
Additionally, you can always subscribe to our podcast at, at Tabletop Journeys on Stitcher, iTunes, Amazon, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Audible, uh, and many other platforms. We're finding them all the time where we show up, and we didn't know they were there the day before. <laughs> That's right. Um, we're on CastBox and Pandora now, too. Amazing stuff. Be sure to leave us likes and comments. We welcome both. All right, gentlemen. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much for listening to today's episode. This has been Tabletop Juries. And in the words of another traveler on our path, we bid you shade and sweet water. <laughs>